Hello and welcome to What Moves Us, the podcast where we ask what moves us or more accurately what's going to move us in future. With the Rail Innovation Group's Johanna Randall and Liam Henderson we look at debates, themes and decisions of the minutes that will impact on the way we get about in the future. Hi Johanna, it's been so long. Is this our first podcast this year? Has it been that long? No, uh, I can't remember. I did the one in Sheffield a few weeks back. I know you did the one in Sheffield a few weeks back. Super exciting trip. Sheffield, C3 squared. How was Sheffield? Lovely. I used to be a student there a long time ago. And I did end up sitting in the park having a beer. (laughs) 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 It's just like on the ground, really. (laughs) It's still too cold to be outside. (laughs) No, uh, you just have to bring a bigger blanket. Uh-huh. That's not the point. If, if it was December, I could do with a blanket, but not in May. <laughs> and I don't, can you hear the wind? Yeah, I can also hear the fact that I have my Christmas Rudolph slippers on because it's so cold here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, um, so we have got back together because of an exciting day in rail da, da, da. say it say it what is it what is it well i'm gonna say it's the william shapps plan for rail indeed. <laughs> because british it's got rail. longer <laughs> great british railways so uh what do you think well we decided that we'd do a quick podcast um in response i hope you read it i have read all 100 ish pages 116 well, but I, th- I think it's about 108 if you take out the references and the title page and stuff, isn't it? Yes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I've read. Um, so I don't know how you. Want I to have. Read. I have read it. I have read it. Good. And I took quite a lot of notes, which I need to go through. I took a lot of notes as well, and I thought it was quite good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's gone and... wrong? We've actually said something's quite good. <laughs> Well, yeah, taking politics out of it, it's like if I was just to look at it as uh, whether you believe all of this stuff is actually going to happen or not, it says the right things. Actually, I don't know whether it's about believing whether everything will happen. It's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And of course, a lot of this, you know, a lot of it will be in the detail. And a lot of that detail has still got to be outlined because the one thing that I'm going to before we get on to it says a lot of the right things is that I think overall in in the areas that obviously it has been looking at and was part of the original review it's really strong on because it's because government and DFT and Williams have spent an awful lot of time thinking about it right so all the the things about Great British Rail and what's going to be subsumed into that and structure and contracts for concessions and, and things like that. And obviously they're benefiting from the expertise of, of Haynes and Hendy as well, being involved in that process. Right. Then it's really strong. But then on all the other elements that may be um, more, you know, that maybe um, passengers will benefit from and they want to think about and, and that it's quite weak and I think probably to a certain extent the the how it's going to do it I'm like it is huge yes would you say that's because you need to have the corporate structure in place for them then to commission 
child reports on, for example, how to improve that. I saw there's one on the environmental strategy needs to happen. And then the, um, about passenger experience will happen later. Um, well, it's, it's interesting. It depends. I mean, I, I guess in, in terms of developing strategy and strategic plans and that, I guess it depends on which um, strategic school you belong to, really, doesn't it? Because in terms of the way it's being set up at the moment is that one would assume that you have the strategy. Yeah. which is the williams shaps plan that's the strategy and within that we are to expect a number of other strategies that will sit underneath that yeah um so um so things like you know there'll be um things that will be about the environmental strategy there'll be the passenger strategy there'll be the leveling up white paper to be published um which which i thought was an, an interesting one that will have implications for great british railways and that and as part of all of that i mean i can if you if you advocate that school of thought in terms of how you set strategic direction then automatically it follows that your structure has to follow first before you do anything else but then whilst you're the thing about that approach is that does everything just sit in aspic for two years whilst you're sorting all of that out yeah because there's some quick wins at the very end it talks about the quick wins that are going to be done whilst they're sorting all that out so 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 what are the quick wins um hold on i just have to get to the right page which is page something hold on we have here we go. Right. Contactless journeys and the continued rollout of digital ticketing. Introduction of flexible season tickets. Close engagement with the freight sector on fair access in the future and on development of a growth target. Consideration of short-term infill schemes to support the pre-ports. Oh, electrification infill schemes. Development of a commitment to... Oh, delivering our commitment to pay-as-you-go travel. Renewed focus on punctuality through the recovery contracts and national rail contracts. And clearer communication on trains, at stations and on smart devices. You see, what's interesting about that list, though, is that I'm going to, what, how would you define a quick win? Something that you've already got the legislation and the funding ready to go to do. So out of that list, <laughs> how many things do you think are actually ready to go? Flexible season tickets, because we've heard all about them. Yes, and we know that's going to happen on the 21st of June. And, and, just... and we already know that, uh, that RDG have already done all the work with, the, with DFT to, um, to, for, for those projects. So, yeah. so do, would, is... we, would we think in terms of quick wins that the rest of those would follow this year? Because uh, punctuality well... and reliability is one of, you know, one of the... The reasons for the railway you know Pat, um, they say very much up front you know passengers expect an on-time railway well of course we do so well clearer communication on trains and at stations is uh, quite easy to do um but why why do we fail at it why why do we find it so difficult because we don't share data and information which isn't one of which is interesting because that was which which number was that term in terms of their commitments about open data by default because um it is commitment uh it's up in this section just here um 
accelerating innovation and modernization. And it is commitment. Open by default. It's called open by default. And it's commitment 56. Commitment 56. So, so in order to get some of these things, they have to deliver some of the other commitments in order to get it. And I don't know, I mean, it's quite, um, it's quite a turnaround for commercial organisations. And I don't know how many of these commercial organisations even have access to all the data that they're asking for, because, because this is, because I think it's interesting, the, um, probably the influence that Hendy has had on this review because of his experience of being at TFL and the fact that this is very much following a TFL model. And obviously you've got experience of working from TFL. So, so what do you think Great British Railways can learn from that experience? Because everyone's saying it's a TFL model, but what does that actually mean? Um, well, you see, so there are some other, there are some other what's the word I want to use, suggestives, suggestives further in document about the fact that whilst there will be governance structure and everything in place, the Secretary of State has a statutory ability to give directions and mandatory instructions to Great British Railways. And the way that you generally achieve things quickly in TfL is because the Mayor said, I want this thing, and TfL did it. Um, so whilst there was the longer term strategy, mm. things such as the staff need to start talking to each other is quite is a is a top-down instruction if you want it to happen quickly you just have to make that instruction and i noticed that two of the these new contracts were let yesterday so i'd be curious to know whether those ones that were let yesterday have this requirement for them to be better at communication or act upon instruction of the secretary of state yeah because up until now secretary of state or that you know has been very much arm's length so now has that relationship changed is that clear that i think it is going to be an arm's length body for the entirety of great british railways but the minister can issue directives and instructions anyway we're jumping ahead quite a lot what i, I know we're jumping i know we're jumping i start to read um i read through this on the basis of, because I wrote some, some sensible notes at the very start, um, looking out for the interests of startups and small suppliers and keeping uh, sort of co the commercial element in some of the supply chain. Um, looking at how innovation was going to be maintained through open data and open systems and the right people to who understand that. Um, I've called it rail is the backbone of mobility, as in, are we going to start funneling the rest of transport through our existing rail network? And does this help that? As a passenger, the passenger experience, what I want to see on the train. Uh, the passenger experience thing I was looking at also particularly, I did like the fact that it mentioned many times, which is a bugbear of mine, that as cycling has become more popular, we've removed, we've continually moved space for bikes on trains. Which, and this commits to improving space for bikes on trains so. yeah i think i mean i think thinking about the whole sort of like new deal for passengers as as they said you know i think here yeah, there was a i mean I, well there was a couple of things that you liked about it wasn't it because it wasn't just about the cycles but also the fact that there was going to be um, long term they were going to maintain the vision of turn up and go which obviously has been more difficult recently particularly on intercity services uh, i was very happy with that to see but, um, that commitment was there 
but the thing that I really liked about the new deal for for passengers um, was the was the was the piece on customer needs. Yeah, the fact that they they really it really did look as that um, as though the they'd really thought about um, you know what customers wanted, what they needed, and what they wanted to get to get out, out of a train service, and that it went beyond just this whole getting you know from station to station. That it was about mobility. It was about you know getting the basics right, and so. I, I thought that was really positive and I did you know in terms of your know, cycle space on on trains because both of us are keen cyclists and that that was that was good to see but um I think this is when I was saying about you know things being about you know there's still a long way to go because obviously there's commercial arrangements with rolling stock companies and I think earlier on in the report when they were being quite critical about the um about um, the the overall rail service and its fragmentation and how that makes it very difficult to get things done. So it's you know how's that how's that governance and that process going to work? Because I say you know sort because of, I think I, I hadn't realised because when they were sort of like going through all sorts of like some of the statistics which I thought you know were quite interesting. You know, there fifty seven different types of rolling stock. Yes. <laughs> Yes. I mean, there's no sort of like, you know, standard for a commuter, standard for an intercity, you know, and whenever you want to do a change, you have to go through, you know, a process, you know, to change because I, I don't under, fully understand all the engineering. But, you know, if you take seats out and put in a cycle space, it changes the kinetic envelope of the of the train. Yeah. So it has to go through safety testing and things like that. And that can be quite expensive. Um, so, and I think that kind of yeah, leads on to another point about, you know, in, in the report about the big savings that they want to deliver as a result of making it simpler and reducing some of this complexity out of the system and whether those benefit, you know, how long those benefits will take to be realised. I think the problem with having, as you say, simplification means that someone is going to write the, the, the standards for simplification and it will probably be by committee centrally. But that I don't know if this has been a problem on some of the recent rolling stock. But if you do it by committee in the center, you're almost even specifying the innovation you want. You're not opening the market to say, we can bring you these exciting things. You're saying that the standard standard intercity train has this many seats of this style and at this comfort level. But there might be another way of delivering the outcome. But I guess that's I mean, I mean, that, that's a really important point to make because I think um, buried in some of this detail, and this is what I thought was quite interesting, particularly in listening to um, the news being reported and some experts yesterday commenting on, was it because some of the things that, um, that hadn't been um, picked up was about the levelling up agenda because people talk about levelling up and I know that's been in the news this week as well but one of the things I thought was quite important for this rail review was that they were talking about a lot more collaboration and a lot more of the um, of design and um, and innovation actually being delivered at the local level so that there would be accountability to local authorities there would be more people involved um you know from the community rail partnerships the community rail partnerships might be even given the opportunity to bid for some of the concessions in the future which i thought was interesting and that sounds quite innovative do you think yeah i do i mean i don't object to any of this stuff i'm just i can i'm sort of just working through the potential. yeah but, but i think you know that on your point about the rolling the rolling stock 
Oh, and I, yeah, the most trains recently have been designed by committee, and I think that's probably why they've been quite unsatisfactory outcomes for for passengers. So how do you, do, do, does what, does what, is what is proposed, does that seek to address it by, because just because you have a standard doesn't necessarily mean to say that you have to give the innovation providing you, you do it in the right way. And that's why I think it's important to come back to passenger needs. Yeah. Rather than sort of like saying it's a seat and it's this thick and all, all the rest of it. It's about, you know, meeting what passengers want, because I think the other thing linked to that, and I don't know how they're going to achieve this, is um, they mentioned about making it easier for people to work on their journeys. Absolutely, yes. And of and course, we all you, know, you know, sort of like most of the Thameslink trains have all been that their design was all around getting people on and off the train quickly and they assumed that people weren't going to work yes for the hours journey and so as a result they have no tables they do in first class <laughs> yes which is what a lot of people do <laughs> but there isn't many first class seats on those trains no because obviously that is someone to make it easier for people to work on their journeys is about building back better isn't it and getting people back into because one of the things it very much acknowledges is the challenges of um of getting people to travel again you know because we we risk this a car-led recovery as opposed to a public transport-led recovery which and of is, course you know, um, it acknowledges that we can't we can't do that but it acknowledges that that um we um that we can't just rely on the commuters of the past and that and this is quite interesting about you know, because i know that there was the agenda before from network rail that you know was about putting passengers first and putting passengers at the heart of what we do and there was already that acknowledgement so that journey was already being made but i think what's really interesting about this report now is that actually for the last 30 years a lot of train operators have not really had to um, worry about the experience too much because it's been a distressed purchase. Yes. But the last year, we've all now acknowledged we have choices and we can choose, you know, and, and how many people actually, you know, that maybe 18 months ago would have thought, well, I'm only going into, you know, I'm going into work every day. I don't really want to drive. Yeah. But maybe if they're only doing it two days a week, we'll think, well, actually, I don't mind doing that two hour drive. You know, it's only two days a week. For that. Yeah. You, you know, and yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's interesting the way because so much of this is about habit, isn't it? And if you get out of the habit of stuff, then you just don't want to do it because, you know, and I wonder, yeah, when I'm our own experiences in that sense, because I'm very much in that I just can't be bothered anymore. I know, but you I've, you know, I've, I've, you're different. <laughs> I know, but, but how many people are thinking like me that I've spent 15 months in my loft? Yeah. I've, you know, I've travelled, you know, I've travelled less than 10 times in the whole, you know, 18 months. And I'm somebody that, you know, travelled pretty much every day to London, flew internationally, and now I just can't be bothered with it all. I'm happy in my loft. <laughs> we, we, you've been put out to pasture. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> And that's but you see, but you have to but but you have oh, to find uh, ways to win me back. Yes. Or railway and has to find ways to win people like me back. Yes. And that is I do sit in there the theme that people don't have to travel. And it's not a case of 
uh, competing with cars, particular journeys, competing with the fact that you don't even have to do the journey a lot of the time. So if you're going to choose to do it, you have to make it a nice experience. And that comes to the small things of either making it convenient so you can actually cycle to the station or take your scooter to the station. It comes from, can you buy the right things you want at the station? Can you get a seat on the train that doesn't face a white panel rather than a window? Um, it's yeah, absolutely. Is the light hideous and white, which is why I try not to get new trains in the evenings. Um, and uh, can you get food and drink? And that, and that is all really lovely, isn't it? But that's you know, the stuff that you think, people. Yeah, you know, if they, if, you know, the railways, railways. But you see, and that in you know that is um, in terms of ha the how. How will this happen? Because one of the things, because everyone's sort of like yesterday, you know, and all the commentaries being about Great British Railways, hooray, we're going back to nationalisation or whatever, it'll be concessions and that. But there is so much in this detail of what does that actually mean? Mm. Because, you know, because I mean, so, so people are picking up already, you know, that marketing is becoming the responsibility of Great British Railways. So, so if I'm the operator and I want to offer a new product, yeah. What does that mean in terms of how I market it to my business? If I want to do a, if as part of this product I have a new ticket with it, what does that mean in terms of GBR for um, for um, for um, marketing that ticket and selling that ticket? And and actually, who's responsible for selling the tickets? Because at the moment, if you're on a station, so station management is all going to come under Great British Railway, sort of like you know whether that be the operations, maintenance, or the asset and that. That's all going to come under this new organisation. Yeah. But what's who's going to be the lead retailer? Is that going to go to G GBR or is that going to main, maintain part of the concession? Yeah, and it, and all of those questions need to be answered. And, and even if you sort of like to make all those decisions, all you know, all the staff that are going to have to two p and things like that, you know, it's it's yeah, it's being said. Oh, it's yeah, we're making it simple, but the journey to get there is hugely complex. Well, and in the yeah. meantime, as I, you know, as I said, you know, a few minutes ago, you know, sort of like, you know, what does that, you know, we mentioned quick wins, but actually, what does that mean in the, in, in the interim? Because, you know, going back to, you know, schools of thought and that, you know, do you have to do all your strategic thinking first and, all, and get all your structure right before you can start developing? How, or how do you make sure that you're always improving whilst you're get, waiting to getting to your end journey? Yeah. Um. Well, I assume it's going to be iterative and whatever is the most convenient thing at the time. Yeah. I think looking for what you mentioned about stations, I don't think there's going to be ticket retailers at the stations, judging by what you read in it. I don't think there's going to be ticket offices. It's going to be... I. I think you're going to buy online or with an app and there will be some people wearing a uniform who can help you. I don't think there's going to be ticket machines or ticket, uh, what, what, what do you call them? Ticket offices. Ticket offices, yes. Yeah. So you think, you think that they're, they're, they're going? Well, I mean, it says in there quite clearly that it's to bring the staff out in front of the passengers and also we want to get rid of paper tickets. So there's not mm. a whole lot of opportunity to sell a ticket. 
no so so and I think that's you know and I think that's you know again alluding to um um TfL again because they pretty much closed all their ticket offices down and it's all machines and that so it and and this is where you know it is hugely complex because okay you know right I'm an advocate of closing ticket ticket offices down and going online but I'm i I can't remember the last time I went to a ticket office to buy a ticket. I, mean, I, I have done in the last couple of years, but primarily because it's difficult to buy your season ticket online if you want to add plus plus to it. Yeah. So, so you have no choice but to go to the ticket office. But um, if um, but if I'm doing a long distance journey or whatever, I you know I pretty much always. I mean, I do always buy online because you get the best value ticket online. So I can see why you would do do that, but then there are lots of people who won't, you know, who don't feel comfortable because of the complexity of ticketing. And in I'd say in London, because they've sort of like created these um, travel centre hubs, haven't they? That mainly mm-hmm. yeah. in in main main stations and that. How do you do that on um, the National Rail Network? How do you decide which are your important stations to do that? Well, there's great. So whereby great, you know without great. disadvantaging people. And there's grades of stations. But, yeah, without disadvantaging people. I know there's grades of stations, but, you know, we, we could have an argument about, you know, the A, the A to F station grade categorization because I, I know even lots of people don't agree with that. But how do you decide which you ones... You put a commitment are, in that every station has... And how do you... No, and that... <laughs> at all and, um, and I think it's interesting if you, you know, sort of like, you know, go back to um, sort of like some of the earlier points in, in the in the documents as well about, you know, people don't have a lot of trust in the system. Yeah. And, and it's quite important that you have trust in what you're purchasing when you want to go digital, isn't there? Because you probably find, you know, most people wouldn't think these days of going to a travel agent these days to book a flight because they trust the EasyJet or Ryanair or whatever, you know, whatever booking agent they use online will sell them the best value ticket. Do people have that same trust? Uh, no, and I think you're going to come up against the same problem where some people are able to get cheaper fares because they know how to get cheaper fares. It even mentions split ticketing in there. Yeah, because if you if you travel regularly or you know, you know, or you or not even so much if you travel regularly, but if you understand it or if you're a data person or whatever, you can you can work work your work your way around it. And I think what's quite interesting about you know, is um because we've moved on to ticketing and and that is about the whole um, creation of a GBR website and app. Yes. So just before we go into that, one is that we I don't know what what has been put in there. About well, there hasn't been put anything put in there about international visitors. And international visitors use the trains a lot and they will generally go to the ticket office at one of the big London stations or whichever city they arrive in and buy a ticket, a walk-up ticket. So I don't know what we're doing about yes. that. Um, but yeah, but maybe we'll have, segueing in, maybe we'll have the app in multiple languages. So there's one central ticketing. So this is what I understand and you can correct me. There's going to be one central app and ticketing retailer, but that retail API will be open so that if you're someone like Alton Towers, you can sell a park ticket and a rail ticket as one package, and GBR will give you will will issue the ticket the rail ticket automatically. 
I understand. Yes, that I think because it talks about concert halls and things. Yes. Yeah. No. I. 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 I think that is. Um. I think that is the vision. So, so for example, the uh, large ticket retailers, third-party ticket retailers, who advertise very strongly at the moment, do they have a business now? I would say they still have a business because unless um the government are going to turn around and say we're going to have no competition which i can't imagine they'll do then um so which you can't be... imagine then they still but... have a business but but i guess what um what um their investors are, are um, worried about is you know long term but i guess the thing about train line is people are so familiar with train line yeah. and it's a good product it takes apple you know, the, you know they're 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 already ahead of the game people are familiar with it why would you if you if you like using train line or one of the other you know websites that allow you to to book tickets you know why would you change if you like using it if it yeah. gives you what you need yeah you know i mean you'd have to be designing something you know and i think this is i mean i can if you think about oh you know it's correlation to open data and tfl and things like that i mean like tfl have just built their own app recently but for a long time, they had nothing, did they? Yeah, it was all done by open data and other people developing on that. So, so one would envisage that it would be that it would be the same, and that you know basically it's the product that people would like using, and what what gives you the best user experience. And one of the reasons why people use Trainline a lot is because they have been innovative. Yeah. I mean, more innovative in, in retail than most train operators have been until recently. And they make it easy because you just said they take Apple Pay. Well, of course, you just, I mean, literally, I mean, you can pretty much buy a ticket on, on train line in three or four easy steps, can't you? Yes, you do. And generally, you don't have to collect, you. and generally, you don't have to collect the ticket either. It's on your phone. Yes. So oh, then do you, so, do we imagine that it's actually going to be the case that there, there is one ticket, uh, what's the word, issuer? but multiple retailers who have a different customer experience in their retail process which would that then would be a differentiator wouldn't it idea yeah and then so, also there is the so i don't so although you know they're oh sorry uh, i was just going to say that is the fact um uh, but, but, but the long distance intercity companies are apparently also going to be able to uh have their own fares commercial fares um in it so you know that's you see that was that was something that actually confused me about um, the document because of um this whole fare setting and being able to um for um and for the future um passenger operators passenger service operators to um to be incentivized to grow their business because one of the ways that the long distance operators have done that has been through the use of advanced purchase yeah but um and i actually wrote in my notes in terms of what they were in in terms of the way you know so so gbr is going to be responsible for setting fares and presumably there will be some sort of interface still with the secretary of state in terms of um the um the protected fares and the regulated fares in terms of what you can do with them but who's going to decide how i sell advanced purchase and and how and how i set them if 
GBR is setting. So are they going to set the parameters for fares and the passenger service operators have to comply or do the passenger service operators come up with a marketing fares scheme and say, that's how I want to sell them? I mean, because I, um, I would say between, because I'd say between first group, LNER and Avanti, and I do know all the systems that all of them are on, they're probably all on very sophisticated yield management. Yes. So they'll all have their own individual yield management schemes. Yes. And who's going to be responsible for managing the yield management for those operators? Will that stay with the passenger service operators or will that go to GBR? From what I've read, they will be able to have a separate yield management system just for their long distance operation. So how is that making it simpler? Uh, because it's kind of the same as in the minute. You can buy a walk-up ticket on a long-distance intercity for a regulated fare, or you can go and buy an advance ticket for cheaper. If everything's going to GBR, why would you keep individual yield management with the passenger service operator? Um, pass. Don't know. I just, I sort of, I can't, I probably can't explain it, but I understand why you'd want to do that because you'd want to have the commercial company with a little bit of skin in the game. We need to find somebody who can answer these questions for us. We do. Well, we do have a few years of this being rolled out for us to get to that stage. <laughs> but, it is, but it is interesting isn't it sort of like you know because because i think in the in the in the diagram in in, in the document they have this very simple they have this very complex diagram that says how it is now yeah. sort of you know with um with um sort of like the different operators and things like that and um and then um and then they've got this very simple diagram that shows sort of like the income coming from still coming from the DFT, the fare box, going into GBR, into the, 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 um, the passenger service operators. <laughs> and, that, and then, um, and they, because I think the other thing that I think is interesting within those, we've talked a lot about the fares and that, but is what's going to happen to track access. Yeah. Um, in terms of the schedule four, schedule eight payments, are they gone? And what does that mean for freight operators? Yeah, and I know they said that's part of their quick wins to talk to freight operators and that, but though it was also for very light, I think, on um, open access operators and what this means yeah. for open access, because there was a lot of, we're going to continue with open access if it's competitive to do so and stuff like that. Yeah. But there was no real detail of what this means for the open access operators. And we've got, and, I don't know whether it's still on schedule to start this year, but of course there's a new one starting on the, on the East Coast Main Line this year, isn't there, by first group? The one you could fit any more Is that due to start in December? Maybe. <laughs> but um, well, I think there's a little bit of capacity at the moment because of, as we all know, the pinch point is the Welling Viaduct. But um, I think also the work that they've been doing over the last six months to improve the, um, the signalling at King's Cross has, has helped with um, opening up capacity. Right. Okay. Well, so um, just reading through to make sure I've covered off everything that I want to cover this so much. But I took so many notes. But anyway, we've got open data sharing. Yep. Check. We've got protecting the interests of startups, embracing startups. Check. We've got sorting out this innovation funding. So there's one central pool of innovation funding rather than lots of different organizations with separate competitions. So that's good, we think. 
So we said keep giving out monies for innovation. Uh, environment, I was surprised environment. So <laughs> pro green and decarbonisation things was kind of its separate little bit at the end. But do you think that's because they've got this bigger green paper coming out? That might be and the case. I was just, because, I just, yeah, the re green recovery plan and an environmental plan that they're expecting to deliver next year and that they expect electrification and hydrogen and battery power and all that to contribute into that. I've got to assume so because it, it seemed sup suspiciously light on that um, on that front. It, it was, and I think that's because it was it was light on some things, but I wonder whether actually one of the reasons why it was light on some of these things was actually what it was trying to do was put people at the heart of it. So it's because it was talking a lot about, you know, the locality agenda, empowering local people, having a people strategy, putting passengers at the front of this a passenger. You know, and I wonder whether that was whether it, I don't know whether it was by default or whether it was quite deliberate, but people seemed very much at the heart of this. Because I mean, another thing that we haven't mentioned and was part of it was about an accessibility agenda, you know, that um, about um, doing an accessible plan and having a plan for the whole of the, you know, and bringing in all that funding as well in together, you know, so bringing in all the access for all funding, um, all the community rail parts. So, so that would also be one part which would also help with innovation and being able to improve the passenger experience. So I wonder whether that was quite, you know, some of this is, is quite deliberate. And I think the other thing that we haven't also talked about, because we talked about the structure, but, you know, thinking about people and that, that there was a lot in here about they wanted things to, they wanted people to be accountable, you know, and there seemed to be a lot in the, the about the structure about saying they wanted people to be accountable at the right level you know so they want you know so the senior leadership team were obviously going to be accountable to the secretary of state but they wanted the local teams to be accountable to the local authorities and to politicians and that which is going to become and empowered of, to make yes investment decisions and there seemed to be a lot in here about being able to get you know if you're going to you know be thinking about um competing for one of these future contracts concession agreements yeah. is about getting extra points for collaboration and partnering so this is all this is actually talking a lot more to people than trains yeah which obviously you know you know people always talk about train services rather than people and their mobility needs and what they need to get to places so so i think that's quite a positive step i think it's a positive step um i also there are some lots of good things in there, so let's hope it. But a long way to go. Yeah, but it's the start. We all know it's. We know the COVID has sort of wiped the slate, so. But, um, so so there, so, 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 so there are good things that can come out of this. Yeah, if this is the structure we're deciding now is going to be the future of rail, one, it's positive that the government's putting a strong focus on rail two is that they have not said they're cutting the money they're trying they're saying that there must be efficiencies but it's not as though we're like winding down the network or anything the three is the future green mode so um so so we've done our little podcast what's happening next wednesday the, uh sorry next wednesday we're doing a munch and discuss uh session an open session for anybody to come to 
we've already got quite a lot of people attending uh, to talk about this because I noticed that online lots of people were having obviously a review and asking questions of it and I thought it was very good to just get people together quickly to give a first impression, um, first interpretations and people might know the answer to assure some of the suppliers or anything else if people listen to us they can either they can come onto our onto our munch and discuss and see whether they agree with some of the things we've thought about and also give us some ideas of things that we had questions for or um haven't thought about yes and also on tuesday we are releasing our parcels as passengers project uh which is very apt we didn't even talk about it freight on, on the podcast no we didn't so we're gonna do a whole nother one of that um uh, when we're doing, we release the paper. So that's coming out Tuesday, all about putting small parcels on passenger trains, filling up the space we've got at the moment. So all exciting. And we've done all this within one hour's chat. All right, then. Nice to talk to you and have a good weekend. So thanks for listening to another episode of What Moves Us. We hope we moved you. For more episodes, you'll definitely want to subscribe to our channel. Until next time. <laughs>